Good morning. Welcome to Our Town Stillwater. I'm Cheryl Pickens. And I'm Jonathan Udoka. And we are here at Our Daily Bread. This is a wonderful facility located in Stillwater, Oklahoma. And our guest today is the executive director of Our Daily Bread, Becky Taylor. Welcome, Becky. Well, thanks for having me. Glad we, you're here. We are glad to have you. We are glad to be back on the air and doing some things again. Thank you guys for tuning in. We want to get a little bit of a background of Our Daily Bread. There's folks out there watching who uh, may not be familiar. And so if you could back up prior to Our Daily Bread, there, there were food pantries in Payne County. So how did that exist? And then kind of walk us through uh, the idea for something like Our Daily Bread. Yeah, so Our Daily Bread opened uh, September 7th, 2017. So we're about three and a half years in, a little under three and a half years. Um, but the reason why we even decided to open a facility like this in Payne County was there were sm some small food pantries that took place um, in, in churches and some other ones around town. Um, one of them served on, you know, the first Saturday after the first Tuesday of the month, and then there was the third Thursday, and hard for anyone to navigate that sort of schedule, but especially if you think of a single mom who's having to work a few jobs, um, and then on top of that, having to navigate this food access system. I mean, it was just a tough, um, tough thing to add on to someone who already has a lot piled on. Um, and so really with collaborating with the Regional Food Bank out of Oklahoma City, um, conversations started about how can we do food more efficiently? How can we make sure that our neighbors in Payne County have access to food in a way that um, is efficient, is innovative, and in a, in a way that um, really just is collaborative? Um, and so really that's where Our Daily Bread came from. There were a few key players at the beginning, and a few of them are still on our board, our founding board members, um, who had these conversations with those local food pantries. And the three food pantries, so one at Lost Creek Church, one at First United Methodist Church, and then um, Church of Christ in Stillwater, they consolidated um, when we opened our doors here. And so that gave us um, some people who had been doing food assistance for a while in our county. Um, they helped us with this initiative. They were a few members were on our board initially um, from those churches. Um, and really, we just consolidated all of the resources and gave us one place for donations, one place for um, food, and a one so that we could do more with with it. So that was a little bit of the history of our daily bread. This building um, has had a few um, transitions. Jonathan said his first job was in this building with the city of Stillwater. That's right. right. Yeah, cutting <laughs> so. uh, cutting grass and weed eating all the parks here in town, and yeah, lots of memories starting out here. Yeah. So this building looks quite different from from Jonathan's days <laughs> in this building. It was a Parks and Rec for a while, and then it sat empty for a little bit. But um, we had to. There was a whole second story, uh, second floor over the grocery store here, and um, we're sitting in our current welcome center, but it used to be a garage. Um, so a lot of, of the initial uh, capital campaign went into just renovating this building. Um, and it really is, If I, it, there's a few other food and resource models in, in um, Oklahoma. This is one of the coolest buildings that fits what we do the best. So I'm really proud of this space and, and the thought that went into really uh, making it perfect for what we do here. So that's really awesome. One one thing that you mentioned, I'll backtrack just a little mm -hmm. bit. You mentioned that there were some folks doing similar things and it was kind of a little bit here, a little bit there. 
how did those conversations go? Did did you feel any pushback or anything like that when when people look at doing something that's similar to something that's already being done? Mm-hmm. There seems to be a natural fear of of oh they're not going to want us at the table we're taking away mm-hmm. how do you get to that point of collaboration and and how does that go yeah i i think the the whole reason why people were okay collaborating on this is because of the vision the vision was to make sure that our hungry neighbors had food and so if we had skin in the game and our ego in the game well maybe we wouldn't get to where we are today but if what we were thinking of was the neighbors that are going to bed hungry and the kids that didn't have food, that's a big vision beyond us that in order to affect change, it takes all of us at the table. Um, and so I think just speaking that vision really clearly um, and in a way that people could really latch onto is what um, what helped get our daily bread started. You know, and the, of course, with anything, there's always different personalities and there's different ways of doing things. So um I mean, that just comes with it, but that doesn't necessarily scare me away from a challenge. It's how can we bring in all the voices and all of the, um, the history and, and all of that and really honor the legacy of those food pantries with what we're doing here in a bigger way. Um, so, I mean, that's just a piece of, of collaboration is, is, you know, lots of different voices. We want them involved, but also it, it takes a little bit of highs and lows to get to where you ultimately want to go. Well, and then when people do feel like you're valuing their voice and, you know, sometimes you'll submit an, an idea that really isn't what it looks like at the end, but you know you were heard. Exactly. And I'm sure that was part of it. So the city of Stillwater still owns this facility? They do. So Very they good. own it and we, they lease it to us for $1 a year. So anytime I give presentations publicly, I always ask if there's someone who wants to pay for our rent for the next 20 years. And <laughs> Very good. Yeah, so it's, Very good. it's well, such and a great that, deal. I think that gives it long-term legitimacy. Yes. That it is the city that's involved. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be something that some developer will decide later, hey, we want to put in something more economically profitable mm-hmm. as far as that goes. So mm-hmm. I think that gives us some st- sustainability. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Very good. So then we, we get all, everybody on board and we, we get this facility and all the money that goes with it. So we, so we open our doors and yes. who, who do we serve? Um, what, what does that look like if you're someone who needs food maybe one time or on a regular basis? Mm-hmm. How do we get these people in the door and serve them? Yeah, so I started in the executive director role a few months before we opened our doors in September of 2017. So that summer is when I started. And, and really, we had the building almost renovated, um, but it was, what do we do now? So we have people who want to help. We have the finances for you know the capital campaign. Um, we know that there's a hungry population in Stillwater. And Payne County has one of the highest poverty rates in in our state and one of the higher food insecurity um, rates. So we know that there's this problem, but how do we get them in the doors? And then what do we do when they're in here? You know, there's a lot of those decisions that had to be made early on. Um, One of the values that we knew from the very beginning is that we wanted to offer food assistance in a way that gave the guests who walked through our doors a lot of dignity in the process. Um, So one is we call our clients guests we don't ever use the word client and the reason is because we invited them here this is we want them to have ownership in what we do here Um, and who knows they might not always be a guest they may sometimes be a volunteer or a staff member in the future we just don't know Um, and so we wanted to offer a a way of providing food that really honored 
our neighbors. And, and one of the ways that we did that was through our guest choice shopping floor. And right now our shopping floor is just used for storage because COVID, you know, it changes things. Mm-hmm. Um, but before, I mean, our shelves looked like a small grocery store inside our shopping floor, and our guests got to choose the food that they wanted to take home and feed their families. Um, I mean, each of us, if whenever we go grocery shopping, you know, you want to get the, the cereal that your kids like. You want to, if, you, if there's a peanut allergy, you're going to choose, you know, tuna instead of peanut butter. Um and we wanted to offer that as well. So one, there's just a way of, of giving dignity to someone when they can choose the food that they want to feed their family um, that we wanted to make sure we had in our operational model. And then also um, just a guest choice shopping floor reduces waste. So if you were given food that you did not necessarily want, then you're wasting it and it's not really that sustainable either. Um, So that was one of our values that we had when we opened our doors. And another was just making sure we had an abundance of fresh produce available. So often poverty in the United States, it looks different than what you'd see in developing countries. People who live in poverty tend to have higher rates of obesity in America, and that seems like a big paradox, like why, what, that doesn't make sense. It's because we have a, we offer a lot of calories, but not a lot of nourishment. And so we're an over-caloried, undernourished um, country, really, and we wanted to make sure here at Our Daily Bread that we were giving at least the opportunity for our guests to choose healthy, fresh produce as well. So that's something else that we have. Um, so really, there wasn't an... It didn't. It wasn't hard work to get people in our building. We just we have four shopping sessions a week, um, and guests can come in. Uh, if you fall below the the poverty level for our state, then you can come get groceries. We do not make anyone prove to us their income guidelines. So it's just if you say that you fall below and you sign something, then um, you're welcomed in. Uh, we want to see an ID just so that we can make sure that we have good data. Um, that we're tracking. And then from there, I mean, we have a pretty organized system, but our guests can come in and they shop with volunteers and they can choose a certain amount of food from each section. So it's a a pretty easy process. um, And we didn't really have to do a lot of recruiting. Right. (laughs) Well, to to visit kind of uh, what you're talking about waste and I know that models from other food pantries is, you know, we're going to sack up 27 sacks of groceries Mm -hmm. and the first 27 clients who come here, we're going to give them this sack full of stuff. And you're right. What if you do have some kind of an allergy to something in that bag? Or maybe you don't have some way to prepare those dry beans. Exactly. And so I do love the fact that you're eliminating Mm -hmm. waste and you're letting letting folks choose what they want to have in their household. Mm -hmm. Yep. Can you tell us a little bit more as we were coming in? Of course, we noticed this beautiful garden outside. And you're mentioning the fresh produce and things. How did that get started, and, and how is that maintained? Yeah, so our garden is one of the one of the many things that we're really proud of here. Um, with anything that our success is really because we we have such strong partners in our community. It's um, our daily bread is successful because lots of people own it, so to speak. Um, they have their hands in it, whether it's through volunteering or donating or. Um, or offering classes here. A lot of our community can latch on, and our garden is one of those things. So um, it was really through a lot of conversations early on um, with with a few stakeholders in our community, but it landed with Keith Reed, our Payne County horticulturist, um, who um, is a great gardener, and many of us have probably called him about trees or flowers or things in our in our own yards. Um, really, just the two of us saw a common vision 
when it came to community garden. I wanted something that spoke to the values of what we do here inside of our building. Um, our value is having healthy produce, having a community space. Um, I wanted something on the external part of our building to speak to that value. Um, and he wanted a community garden with a lot of shared equity and sweat equity and people willing to put in the work. And, and so it just is um, through that partnership, our beautiful garden came to be. Um, so it started off small. We have a patio garden out front, and we also have an interior herb garden um, inside here as well. Um, but then we just slowly expanded, and the city has been really gracious in giving us more space um, whenever we ask for it. And so now it goes out to this, the city, the swimming pool. Wow. And um, yeah, it's it's quite great. So we're proud of it. Well, what have you got in the what? What have you got growing? Oh goodness, I well, there's great signage. So if you <laughs> if you walk through it, there you go. You'll see some broccoli and some spinach. Lots of fall crops right now. Um, we also uh, one of the other things I'm proud of in the gardens. We have a big compost system, and so that really speaks to our sustainable efforts as well. So when we get food in this building that we can't use. Um, a lot of produce that comes from the grocery stores, we get it because it's at the end of its life anyway. So if it's in, in a state where we just can't serve it, uh, we can compost it, and then it goes to create great soil and then better produce. So um, it's a full circle thing, and I, I like that. That's what incredible. That speaks to. Yeah. I, you know, one time I tried to compost at home, and, and to do it <laughs> properly and turn it and... Whatever, you know, I gave up and oh, yeah. it's, it's, <laughs> a little it's not while. In the, it's not a glamorous thing. Right, you know? right. <laughs> okay, so now let's talk about of, of all these guests that we have coming. What's the what's the the numbers? What are the numbers? How many folks? How many pounds of groceries? Yeah. Or what? How do you track that? So we expected when we opened our doors in 2017 to serve about 550 households a month, and we got that number from the three consolidating food pantries of how many they served. And then we added a bit thinking, well, surely we'll attract a few more people because of what we're doing here. Our first month, I think we were at 1,000 households. And then it's just gone up and kind of hung out around the 1,200, 1,300 households. And we're talking households. So we, we, served, we have a household of 14 that shops here, and we have lots of households of one. So in that, it's about 3,000 individuals a month. Um, and it's not all the same people. I think a common myth whenever you're not familiar with this type of work is, well, if you just give someone something for free, well, they're just going to keep coming back. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, it, really, our guests come when they need it. We have a handful that come once a month, and it's because they're a, a population that they can't go get a job, whether it's from a disability or or they're retired, or a widow. I mean, it's just a population that they need this in order to pay for prescriptions or get their electricity turned on in the winter months. So uh, we do have a handful that come every month, but really it's, it's, it's people use it when they need it. And it's people like you and me, and, and that's the thing that I, I want our community to know is that any one of us could be in a place where we need food assistance. And so I really want to create a space that welcomes each and every one of us because we never know when it could be us um, or when it has been us in the past. So uh, we serve about 1,200 is our average um, households a month, about 3,000 individuals, um, but that does change. Uh, since COVID, our numbers have increased about 20% in new people, um, but we haven't necessarily seen an increase in overall numbers. So that, that tells me that there's some people that need it, but they're just not 
going out to get the food or for something has happened where they don't feel safe to to be here but um yeah our numbers are quite large and it's and it's just growing and so you're still serving people in the in yes throughout the covid we so have you not modified at all. yes we've modified everything that we did and um, so we've had we had a big pivot like most of the world um in march of 2020 and uh so we knew that we serve a population that's pretty vulnerable and then we also most of our volunteers Pre-COVID, we had about 100 volunteers a day in our building, and a lot of those volunteers were retired folks. Um, so we just had almost the perfect storm in hunger relief agencies when it came to COVID. Um, we had a population of guests that shouldn't be grouped together you know, with the situation. We had volunteers that were no longer felt safe to be in our building, which I don't blame them. Um, and then we had just, we rely on surplus food to feed our community and with mass hoarding and with buying more than what you need. In March, it left us without two. So we had this kind of perfect storm happen in March. Um, so we automatically pivoted to outdoor drive-through distribution and we still are doing that and we will do that until it's safe to return um, inside. Uh, there's just not an easy way of bringing that many people inside our building. I mean, if we don't allow, if we only allow, you know, 20 in the building at a time, well, now everyone's grouped outside in the winter. So it's just, it's it's tricky right now. Um, when we made the pivot to drive-through distribution, we had to give up our guest choice piece. And that's um, sad. Um, and that's something that I, I don't love, but it's, we also value more just getting foods and food into um, the hands of our neighbors. And so we, we had to give that up, but eventually we'll be back indoors shopping. <laughs> well, that's awesome. And, and you mentioned with this pivoting, uh, kind of some different ways to support and things like that. I know a lot of uh, agencies are kind of in fundraising mode right mm -hmm. now, United Way is in their big campaign. Mm -hmm. uh, what are ways that you see right now that you need support? And what did it look like before, like a return to normal, if you will? Uh, what do you see for support needs now and, and in the future? Um, well, we always need volunteers. We are limiting how many volunteers can come in our building at a time. And um, so that makes it a, a bit trickier. Um, but we, we do need volunteers and we need healthy volunteers and people who can show up whenever a volunteer has to be quarantined or, you know, I mean, there's just a lot going on right now that it's never a normal day anywhere. Um, so volunteering, that's great. And that's on our website, ourdailybreadstillwater.org. There's a volunteer page and you can sign up there. So we, we are in need of volunteers every day. Um, and then, like you said, I mean, donating that's whether it's food empty egg cartons we need those right now and um, we use a lot of tape because we are constantly putting together boxes so if you just love if you have a lot of packing tape at your house we could use it and um, there's some creative ways that you can get involved so I, I think that that's the encouraging thing is there's a lot of people at home right now um because they have to be and they have to be safe and so it could be discouraging because you can't help as much or you think you can't, but you can. I mean, there are so many ways from home and the safety of your own home to help. You can, um, you know, bring food and drop it off in the front of our building and egg cartons, you know, buy yourself eggs and eat them and then give us the egg carton. We would love to take that uh, from you. Um, boxes, packing tape, um, certain food that is just harder for us to come by, like soup and canned veggies. Um, those items are just more expensive for us to get um, through our normal sources. So there's lots of ways to be involved. But I would say donating finances, donating food, 
Um, and then just if you're able and feel safe being here to volunteer, those are all great ways. Now, you'd mentioned previously the Oklahoma City Regional Food Bank. Do you mm -hmm. still have some kind of a relationship with them? Definitely. What do they provide? So a food bank, um, so we have the national model is Feeding America. So that's like our national branch for hunger relief agencies in America. And then our, we have two state ones. So there's one located in Tulsa, and then there's Oklahoma City, and that's the Regional Food Bank of Oklahoma. And they serve 53 counties out of the 77, us being one of them. Um, so they're basically our grocery store, for lack of better words. So they, um, they are a big warehouse that stores food, and they can get it at good prices. And so we can then order food from them at better prices. Um, so the amount of food that we get delivered on a weekly basis from the regional food bank would cost us so much more if we were just purchasing it from local vendors. Um, so our relationship with the regional food bank is essential to us being a successful um, food, <laughs> food assistance program. Um, so we get a big semi-truck from them every Tuesday, um, but it is surplus food. So the, the, what's available to purchase, it varies. Um, some, like right now, we haven't been able to purchase rice, and I love having rice available, but that's something that's just not there unless someone donates, uh, donates it to us. So that relationship is definitely strong and one that um, we will always hold tight and we need uh, just to exist as a hunger relief agency. Um, but then we also get food from our retail recovery partners. And so this is something that maybe a lot of people don't know is we pick up every day from six different grocery stores in town. And that's food that before we opened would have been thrown into the dumpster just because of the rules that grocery stores have of what they can sell and when. Um, so we get about thirty to 40,000 pounds a month from grocery stores. Wow. So that's a lot of food. Um, and it just gives a place where instead of wasting food, because there's plenty of food that goes to waste that is not good for our climate, not good for our hungry neighbors. It's just for And it hurts reason, my heart. And it hurts our hearts. It's... <laughs> It's a lot of wasted food, but if we just come up with a creative way of redistributing that food, of making sure we weren't just wasting it, um, we're not just creating something new, we're, re we're just sharing it, right? And so our retail recovery program allows us to do that. Um, so we have a big refrigerated box truck that we got from a grant a year ago, um, and we pick up from different, I say we, there's, you know, people, the <laughs> glorious we, <laughs> right, right, pick up from um, different grocery stores in town. And um, then we have volunteers that are ready to receive that food and they sort through it. And then we only serve the stuff that we can serve. But um, yeah, it's a great program. My goodness. So, you know, we all can look forward into, you know, after um, we get whatever the new normal is going to look mm -hmm. like and, and we get back into receiving guests in the building and all. So speaking of looking forward, uh, Our Daily Bread will be looking for a new executive director. Uh, yeah. Spoiler alert, um, yeah. Becky has taken a job elsewhere, and we're very happy for your um, move to the next stop in your life. Um, but, you. but take us uh, through what's happening through the transition here. Yeah, so, I mean, even you just mentioning that Cheryl causes <laughs> my stomach to get a little nervous. Um, it's a big thing leaving an organization that you've built, and... Um, and it's, it's sad, but also I think we're at a really good spot to hand over. I'm really proud of where Our Daily Bread is. Um, it's a really established organization. It's well-funded. It has a great staff. Um, so really, it's in the perfect 
um, situation to be handed over, but it's still handing over your baby, and that's hard. Um, but, you know, I... It is what it is. Well, and I can um, I, I can imagine, <laughs> you know, now you will, here I'm telling you what to do. You'll just be a volunteer. Oh, you'll yes, come in and you'll sure. do whatever and you'll still be involved. Mm-hmm. And then you'll get to, you know, part of, I think, the success of any organization, whether it's a business or a nonprofit, is is being able to say, oh, they can run it without me. Yeah. And, and right. that's what you've done. And so... You know, yeah. I think that's fabulous that you've created that foundation. And people have helped you. I mean, we know that you've got a wonderful sure. support group. Mm-hmm. So um, have they put together, you know, the, the, the request out there to, to Indeed or <laughs> headhunters.com to, to find the yes. next director? So first I had to write the job description because when I got hired, <laughs> the job looked really different right. than, um, than what it does today. So, yeah, it's been posted in lots of different spots um, for a few weeks, and they're hoping to really start that selection process next week. Um, so if anyone out there it's is interested, it's not too late. Uh, if you have to really care for your community, care for your neighbors living in poverty, and then just um, be flexible and willing to um, do some good hard work, this is the job for you, really. Um, it's such a great organization and a great staff. Um, right now there's two staff members who will serve as kind of the, the leads um, during the transition team. Um, d- during that transition time. And then we, are, we have a board member who will be kind of the staff liaison and, and spend more time here um, during the transition as well. But I'm hopeful that it's a quick, smooth, you know, placement for someone in our community who um, really loves this type of work and wants to be involved. But, you know, I don't know m- much beyond that. I gave about a month, a little over a month um, time, transition time. So, you know, it's just working. I mean, my name and credit card is on, I don't know where. So (laughs) before we had an Our Daily Bread credit card. So it's working through getting that set up right now is um, with that kind of transition plan. Yeah. And you mentioned your board. How many are on the board? We have 15 board members. um, Well, 14 right now, starting in January, we'll have 15, which is the max that we can have. And it is a great board. We are going through our first big succession um, kind of steps right now. So Andrew Ranson has served as our president since before we were an organization. He was one of the, I, I call him the, the, four, the, the first four, you know, the, the founding four. We have Andrew Ranson, Kathy Sandifer, um, Rod Goodner, and Christine Waits. They were really involved. Um, and a few of them are rolling off this year. Um, so it's our bit, our first big change on our board, and um, we've had new board members since then, but um, those those four being so key to us being where we are today, um, that, is a, that is a change. But it's a, if you're interested in joining the board, also we'd love, you know, for 2022, um, have you. Yeah. I, who knows? Maybe I'll end up in that role eventually. <laughs> there you go. Well, it's great to have that continuity, you know, with mm-hmm. having a large diverse board, and you have the staff here that's been trained and going – along so mm-hmm. no doubt that our daily bread will continue to do great things yeah. uh, and glad that you've been here to build it thank you well and so so what's your next stop we we've told we've we've told them that you're <laughs> doing something else what's that going to be yeah so really it's a brand new position in the it, with the city of stillwater and i see it as an extension of my work here so really my work here has been building a lot of bridges in the community and creating a space where everyone can have um, a part of making our community better with focusing on hunger. And I see this new role with the city of doing just that, but on a variety of issues on a more systemic level. So um, the position is called Chief Civic Innovation Officer. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't started yet. <laughs> 
something like that. But so those words are in there. Um, and so the city created a new office, the Office of Innovation, and there's two employees that um, they you know are bringing on to um, to staff that office. So one will be focused on internal services, and then and then my role will be focused on external services out in the community. Um, so really, it's it's imagining where do we want to be as a community in five years. Um, well, we can all probably agree that we want to be further along and make a good, great quality of life, um, places where we want to raise families. I mean, a lot of us could agree on that. And so how then can we actually get there? Like, do we want a trail system? Who do we want to work with to make that happen? Um, do we want affordable housing? Because we can't really talk about being a vibrant community if we're not remembering our large numbers of people living in poverty. Um, if we anything we do on a city level, on a systemic level, we have to remember that we have about a quarter of our residents that live below the poverty line. And so if we want to and make our community even better, we have to keep in every policy, every program that we do, we have to keep everyone in mind and make sure that we're a better community for everybody. And so really that's the perspective that I'm bringing to the job. Um, and I haven't kept that a secret, so they hired me knowing that I have that perspective. Um, so I'm just really excited about the things that we can work on with a variety of partners and creative partnerships and bringing together nonprofits and businesses and um, civic groups and, and just community citizens that care and, and really creatively thinking how can we um, keep moving Stillwater forward for everybody. So yeah. that's a real vague description, but that's that's what I got for well, you so you, far. Well, you kind of <laughs> highlighted where I was going next, and that, that is kind of thinking about vibrant communities, and especially now that we've had this pandemic and we've had a big shift in how people work and we've mm -hmm. kind of maybe jump forward a little bit, more people working from home and maybe picking where they want to live. Um, are there key kind of areas that you think, uh, you know, you're not in the role yet, but that mm -hmm. you would focus on that, that uh, would bring people to town or bring, you know, invite that kind of vibrancy and things that you're talking about? Well, I think having shared space is important. And, and with COVID, having that outdoor shared space, I think, is, is central. Um, any place that I go and visit in um, the United States, I'm always blown away if they have a good outdoor trail system and if they have a good community space. And we have the infrastructure for that in Stillwater. I mean, there's no reason why we can't get there. Um, there's so there's such a great downtown, and we have a great... Um, we have Lake McMurtry, and we have so many assets. So what can we do to really just um, not create new things, but maximize what we currently have? And so really that's what I um, would love to see. So if the two things that I would say that I would love to start on day two, because day one I just have to find out where my office is <laughs> and my title, right. Right. <laughs> so would be to really have creative partnerships um, to see what we can do with trails. And that's not a new subject. We've been talking about that as the city of Stillwater for a long time. Um, and then also, how can we maximize current public spaces to really create community ownership? Um, we did that here. How can we have ownership of our daily bread? So how can we do that where different people, different sectors feel a type of ownership in what we're creating in Stillwater? So that's, those are two things I hope to do. Awesome. <laughs> well, that's exciting. And I think it, it, it gives folks hope that they, you know, they'll see you move from here to there, but we'll still see you. Yes. And, <laughs> you know, I've been impressed with uh, how our daily bread has been growing and, 
continuing to meet the needs as the needs do grow, even from when, you know, three years ago when you thought it might be 550 families, yeah. households. And so uh, congratulations to you and, and the you. entire board and anyone who has had a hand at all in volunteering or donating uh, to this project. I think it's it's exactly what you're talking about is making our community better. And so mm -hmm. we thank you so much. We all owe you a debt of gratitude. Oh. <laughs> and we know that it's been a blessing to you and your family, so that's that's good too. Yeah. Any closing comments, Jonathan? That's all. Just echo that congratulations and looking forward to what's next. All right. Very good. Well, thank, thank you guys you. for visiting with us. I'm Cheryl Pickens with Jonathan Udoka, and today our special guest has been Becky Taylor, Executive Director of Our Daily Bread, and we'll be happy to see you next time on Our Town Stillwater. That's a wrap.